0: Hi, you've just downloaded or otherwise accessed a podcast of Cross Point Church and the teaching ministry presented through our weekly Sunday morning worship. Feel free to burn a copy of this file when you're finished and pass it along to a friend you think might also benefit from the teaching. We hope you enjoy the message today, and thanks again for taking the time to visit. can you know that what you've seen is what you're supposed to see? You can only know that what you've seen is what you have seen is what you're supposed to see if you know what you're looking for. Now, this is the very first hello from God the Father about the birth of his son, Jesus, um, at least a year ahead of time, ahead of his birth, perhaps even more than that, but at least a year ahead of his birth. Uh, you know the story of the Magi we're going to look at here in Matthew chapter 1. In just a moment, but to set that up, I want you to turn to Numbers, uh, the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 24. And here's the first time in Scripture where, and this is in fact the passage that the Magi go back to, to revisit, to figure out what's going on, what this star is about. And it is, in fact, God's invitation to man. His very first invitation to man is to the Magi here and uh, in, in Numbers. And so we're going to look at this invitation of his asking them, can you see me, in essence. Do you know that I'm coming? Can you see me? Can you see this revelation of who I am? Numbers 24, verse 17 and 18, or 17 to 19 says this. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. He will crush the foreheads of Moab, the skulls of all the sons of Sheth. Edom will be conquered. Sire, his enemy, will be conquered. But Israel will will grow strong. A ruler will come out of Jacob and destroy the survivors of the city. This is his invitation from the heavens. It's his invitation, first of all, from the heavens. Numbers basically is a record of the Israelites to this point, to their existence, by the numbers. I mean, it it tells about the numbers of things that that went on, the numbers of tribes, the numbers of offspring, the numbers of the the miracles and things God had done. It, It chronicle, Becomes a chronicle to all these things so far in in the nation of israel 's history, and so here is this statistical anomaly more or less the star <clears throat> he says a star of Jacob, a star out of Jacob, a star out of Jacob, a scepter out of Israel. Now, this is the first time in scripture that these two things are put together, and I think it 's why the magi goes goes back to revisit this because the very first mention of, of a star in the scripture and the very first mention of a ruler coming out of Israel in the scripture. And so here's where <clears throat> these guys go back. This was Balaam's prophecy. He's, he was prophesying, of course, about uh, the coming of Christ. And uh, the, the, this, this star, this indicator, uh, points to the heavens and points to the, the, the scepter, of course, points to the ruler. Now, here's the interesting part. This, this star, this this message, this invitation from the heavens... It's about one coming from heaven. That men looked to the heavens to the ones not on earth but to the heavens for the message about the one who would come from heaven. So it is not ironic. That is not lost on God. He does everything intentionally. Uh, This is the only time in Scripture before Matthew that these two are conjoined. That the the, the star relates to the scepter. The star relates to a ruler. And so here's this connection these 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 two guys go back to. Now these are not Israelites. These are not these are not the people of God. These are <clears throat> these are these are wise men or magi, and they go to go go back to the scriptures to re, to revisit this this invitation of God. So, evidently, there were stories ha- that had been told about the Pentateuch, the five books of the law that Moses had written. And these guys had knowledge of those five books. They go back and revisit the book of Numbers. Go back and revisit the holy writings of the Hebrews to find what this could be about. Could this be about the one they've been talking about? They've been pr- talking about a coming Messiah. Could this be the one? Could this be him? So they go back and revisit <clears throat> that. In fact, I'm going uh, share this a little bit more in detail in a moment. But I believe, many believe, and, and I'm just crazy enough not to believe the things that many people believe. <laughs> or maybe I'm just a rebel. Maybe that's part of it. But many believe that the, the, that the wise men followed the star. And I don't believe they did. I believe the wise men followed the scripture. Now, here's why I believe that. The star indicated to them there was something more. And I think what they did, in my opinion, if they went to the scripture to find what the star meant, they probably went to the scripture to find out where the star would, would land, what it would be about. So they not only visited Numbers, but I would, I would suggest probably visited the prophets, visited Isaiah to find out, oh Bethlehem Ephratah, blessed are you of God. Ah, could it be Bethlehem? Could that be the connection of the promised one and this star? And so I believe they, they followed a place. They followed, in fact, the writings of the of the nation of Israel here in Numbers and in the prophets as well. To realize, this is this is Judea, and this star is in the east. We're west of Judea, where we are, likely in Persia or Arabia, at that time. We see the star in the east. Judea is in the east. Could this? Could the writings of the prophets be true? True about the writings of, of Moses as well? Yes, they could. Well, let's 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 load up and <laughs> let's find out what's going on. So. Here is, this, here is this God who puts these, puts this much detail in place. And if 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 you are amazed by the fact that the God of the heavens would use the heavens to reveal his Son coming from heaven, you will be amazed by the rest of the scripture because God, our God, is a God of detail. He's a God of incredible detail. Uh, if you don't believe that, of course they're all brown in your yard now, but go pick up a leaf. <clears throat> Off the tree, off of a maple tree, or off of something that turns orange or yellow and brown, and you will see twenty something or, or more, probably plethora of different colors of orange in one leaf. And you don't think our God is a God of detail? He's a God of incredible detail. The Scripture says, "The very hairs on your head are numbered, whether they're few or whether they're many. The very hairs on your head are numbered. They're numbered. God knows exactly how many are there. He knows exactly how many breaths you will take from birth to death." Every breath is counted and numbered by him, the scripture says. So he is a God of detail, knows every detail of our lives, and uses this, this detail here of this this anomaly, this star that they'd never seen before, to point them to the fact that the one from heaven is coming from the heavens. His imitation from the heavens. Now turn to Let's look at dig into this story of Matthew chapter one. I want you to see that star reference, and here's where they where they see this <clears throat> and the story of their coming to worship him. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, uh, <clears throat> I'm sorry, <clears throat> excuse me. Okay, hopefully that got it. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is this one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east. And we've come to worship him. When King Herod heard that he, was the, he heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the, people's, uh, all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for it is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of <laughs> Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And worshiped him when they opened their treasures and presented him with gold, gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another way. This first invitation was from the heavens. The second invitation here is to the seekers, to the ones who are seeking. That's the Magi. Those who had studied these guys had a, had, a, had a life. The wisest men of their day had a lifestyle of studying the heavens. They were modern-day astronomers, and beyond astronomy, they were modern-day meteorologists. They studied not only the stars, but the signs and the seasons and and the way way that the the, the planets would orbit and the stars would orbit and change orbit from season to season and could consequently, as best they could, predict weather patterns, predict, predict what would happen as far as the weather was concerned about what was going on in the heavens. So, these were men who studied the heavens, studied it intently day after day after day, and would take measurements of how far this star is from that star, how far this star is off the horizon, how far that star is off the horizon, and would take those measurements and calculate the, them to calculate the seasons so you would you would understand their alarm and their dismay when they figure out, "Whoa, this is a new star! Never seen this before never never, never any inclination." When we've been we've been doing this a while. We've been watching the stars. We've been watching the heavens a while, and that's a brand new star. Could it be about something? Is that just an anomaly? Is that just a freak of nature, or could it be about something? Now, if they were like me, and probably like a lot like you, they would give it another day or two to come back and say, it's still here. It wasn't a freak thing. And they'd probably give it another week or two. It's still here. It's not a freak. Should we... Is there something going on here and as, as I said they take their nose back to the scriptures back to numbers to find out okay the star <coughs> could be the indicator of this ruler this this scepter coming out of Israel could this be the could this be the indicator of the king that these Hebrews have been talking about to be born to their nation could it be as I say I think they, they go from probably from numbers to the, to the prophets to Isaiah to find out could it be Bethlehem could it be in Judea well let's let's load up and head to head to Judea to see what's coming <coughs> coming about now As I said, they saw the star in the east from them. They were likely located either in Arabia or in Persia. And they were looking, as I said, for the unusual, for that which stood out. And this was certainly unusual and stood out to them and caught their attention. So it was so unusual to them that they go back into the past. They go back into Scripture, go back to prophecy, in fact. Go back into the past to see what the future holds. Great lesson in that for you and I. A great lesson in that. If if you and I want to see the future, we dig into the past. We dig into what God has done, what he has said, (coughs) and what he's going to do as a result of that. These these writings of the prophets are true about their day. They're also true about the coming day. Many of them, uh, the major prophets especially, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, (coughs) have in them (coughs) prophecy concerning the Lord's second coming. So we go back to the past to see what the future holds. These were wise men who knew how to do that, to go back and revisit the past to see what the future has to say. They're seeking something unknown yet, the future, and finding it in the past, referencing what they've, what they've already known. <clears throat> so whether, <clears throat> whether it's to know Christ personally or to know him more deeply, you and I need to revisit the very same things they re- revisited. They took their nose back to the Scripture, back to the original writings, and said, okay, where is God in this? Can we find him here? Um it is you 've seen it on bumper stickers you 've seen it in in the in the, in the uh, stuck in people 's yards on little banners, and they stick it there because it 's true that wise men still seek him. Wise men still seek the truth and still find the truth in the ways and places where the wise men have always found the truth, and that is getting their nose back in the truth of the, of god 's word, the truth of scripture to realize hey. This has something to say to me, not only for today and not only for yesterday about what God did, but for tomorrow, what God's doing today, what he's going to do tomorrow, what he's going to do at his coming again. It is past, it is present, it is future. It is an ever-relevant book. Is it true of history? Yes, it has truthful history to it as well. It is great to be studied, but it should also be applied and learned and digested and lived in the sense that the God of yesterday is the God of today and he's the God of tomorrow, if that's true, and it is. If that's true, then I can trust tomorrow because of what I've seen yesterday. I can trust his hand ahead of me because of what God has done behind me, what he has done for me, what he has done through me, what he's doing in me today. So God can be trusted tomorrow because of what he's done in the past and what he's doing today. Um, And that's that's true. Wise men get that. Wise people get that. They understand that. And if you and I are wise, we'll seek that. Listen to how (coughs) how Paul puts this in 1 Corinthians. (coughs) Where is the wise man? Where is the scholar? Where is the philosopher of this age? This is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 20-25. to 25. Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews still is today. And foolishness to to Gentiles still is today. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Poignant way to put the very thing that these wise men understood and got to figure out, okay, if we're going to figure out how to find the king and consequently maybe worship the king, we're bringing gifts. They planned to do that ahead of time, you see. If we're going to find the king and worship the king, let's go back to the book about the king. Now, these weren't followers of God. These were pagan men, yet knew enough even in their pagan nature and their pagan beliefs to know, I need to, if I want to find out about him, I need to go to the source of who he is and what he's about. Great lesson for you now today. If we're going to know him more deeply, serve him more faithfully and walk with him more intimately, we're going to have to get in this book and find out what he has to say to us, about us, and for us. It's true, it was true then. It's true now. His invitation was from the heavens to these guys. His invitation was to them as seekers. They were seeking and digging, wanting to know, is this the one? Is this the promised one? Could this star be related to the promise? And it was. Thirdly, though, this invitation, this hello, was not just from the heavens unto the seekers, but it was to come and give themselves in worship. To give of themselves in worship. Look at verse 11 of Matthew chapter 2. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. Now, it, it, the commonly held belief, and you probably have a nativity scene in your house with three, three wise men standing in front. Could have been three, could have been more. We don't know that. Could have been two. But, it, but, it, but there, were, there were at least three gifts, so we assume there were three wise men. We don't know the numbers on that, that exactly, but they probably, being wealthy men as well, traveled with an entourage. So they weren't by themselves. They probably had servants who traveled with them to, sell, to see to their meals and their food and, the, and their, their luggage and their transportation, so there was probably an entourage that rolls up to this house—not literally rolls up, but riding, riding either, either horses or, or, or camels. There's this entourage that rolls up to this house, and can you imagine Mary and Joseph? Excuse me, is this the place of the king? We've seen the star, and we've come to worship him. So here, here they here they, they roll up, and they've journeyed, as I said, for for at least a year, maybe perhaps even more than that, but for at least a year. Uh, because here, here is Jesus out of the out of the stable and in a house, uh, and, and and at, at, at here at, 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 in a fixed location where, where Mary and Joseph were living at the time in Bethlehem, and so they they said we've seen this, they've seen seen the star and have come to to do one thing, and the one thing was worship, to give of themselves to give of their resources in worship. Now let's look at the two ways they did that. They did it first of all by submitting. They bowed down, the scripture says, and worshiped him. Now, here were the most learned men of their day, the most respected men of their day. I don't know who you think the smartest person alive today is, but whoever that would be in your mind, that's the person who found themselves in a place of bowing down to him, a place of submission. These, as I said, were were the most learned and respected men, and and wealthy in and of themselves had means. They were men of means because because they brought gifts of means bowed down, submitting themselves in worship and worshiped him. Um, here's a question. Have you ever given thought to your worship posture? Here were the most learned men in the world, bowing down, hitting their knees in front of the king. A little baby boy in a very humble, uh, a humble home with humble circumstances, and they noticed none of that, and all they noticed is the king in front of them, and they bow before the king. <clears throat> that, that strikes my mind about our worship posture and, and about whether, and, and please don't, don't uh, run out of here and say Tim said you know anything other than bowing on our knees is, is not authentic worship. That's not where I'm going at all. But these men found themselves in a place of submission, really in a place of obedience. I, I, I would submit to you that God was in that place. And they found themselves in the presence, not of just the baby, but in the presence of God and submitted themselves by bowing in front of him. And I would submit probably the, the entire entourage when they see these three or four or five or however many ever there were, these wise men, these magi. I bow down to the king. I, can you imagine? Whoa. What are these guys doing? And I, I see the rest of the entourage kind of looking at each other too, and the servants, and maybe we should bow too. And I see the, I see the whole nature of the travel party that went with them, bowing before the king in, in this act of submission. And I wonder about your worship posture, and I wonder about mine. In fact, as I've analyzed this this past week, my takeaway is is my my worship posture before God is probably more about me than Him many times. It's more about me receiving than me giving. It's more about me hearing than me worshiping. And so here are three guys that there was nothing about them whatsoever, none. I mean, they're... These were men of great stature, yet they had no pride whatsoever in kneeling and submitting before him. Great lesson for you and I in how we should come to him and approach him in worship. First of all, with an attitude and a heart and a spirit of submission. Does your, does your worship posture look more like pride or more like submission? I figure sometimes mine looks more like pride than submission. And that needs to change. Secondly, though, they, they not only worshipped him by submitting, they worshipped by surrendering says here that they opened their treasures, the most precious things they owned, and gave them to him. Now, here's my question for you in this, and that is, what do you treasure the most? What's the most important thing in your life? Your children, your family, your spouse, your job, your, your vocation, your home? What do you treasure the most? These are the most precious things these guys owned, and they willingly and, and even, I think, anxiously, uh, gave them and submitted them to him. The most precious things they brought with them, uh, gold, incense, and myrrh. And I think that's what God calls of us and yet even demands of us is the most precious thing we own. And here's what I would ask, whatever that is to you, if it's your kids, if it's your family, if it's your vocation, are you willing to release it? Are you willing to let it go and lay it in front of him to say, it's, it's yours? In fact, it never belonged to me anyway. I've been acting like it does. I've been acting like It's mine but it's never been mine in the first place. It never belonged to me anyway. This always belonged to you. And I give it back to you. Whatever that is that's most precious to you, that's what he's calling us to do in worship, is to submit that, to, to, to release that, to surrender that back to him. Submission and bowing down, surrendering and giving the most precious thing we own and laying that at his feet as an offering. Um, that's what a true worshiper does. A true worshiper searches, a true worshiper submits, and a true worshiper surrenders. It searches for the one to worship, and that's what these guys had done diligently. And probably, in fact, even before they left home, they searched and navigated things for probably a period of months. I would say, before they even made a, made a plan, they they mapped things out. They looked at the scripture. Okay, here's the star. Here's the promised one. Here's what the prophets all about uh, speaking about the this, this city of Bethlehem that's in, that's in Judea, those, both of those are east of us. How, what's the best way to navigate from here to there where we will, we will find less opposition and, and less terrain problems, less less topographical problems what's the be- and, and they, so they calculated every, every step that they made and here that, all that calculation and all that travel brought them to do one thing that is submit to him and surrender to him submit to Him in worship by bowing on their knees and surrendering to Him the very most precious things that they owned, the most precious thing that they, that they had brought with them, with them to share with Him. and Great pictures of you and I that God demands our best. He just does. Nothing else will satisfy Him. He demands and expects our best. What is most precious to you is what He's looking for because if we hold that from Him, it becomes ours instead of His. Consequently, we don't realize His blessing to the extent that we could because we see ourselves not as stewards, but as owners of the things he's blessed us with. And we're merely stewards of those things. These three guys got that. I don't know that they ever got it before then, but at that moment, they got it. And they submitted themselves, and they surrendered themselves to him and submitted what they had, what they had brought to him. Um, remember John the Baptist admonitioned uh, about how we should prepare for Jesus. And he ta- he's talking to the wealthy, because the wealthy is the one who asked him this question. And he says, to be generous with everything you have. With what? With everything you have. John shares with that. And so that's this idea that, that we were conveyed here to, to, to be obedient to, and that is what what time, what talent, what kind of seizure has God blessed you with? And I would, I would even draw it together here to, to in some kind of seasonal thing to what we're doing even as a church to say, are are you spending more money on your own kids this Christmas or somebody else's kids this Christmas? Spending money on your own family this Christmas or on some residents in a tower over here that have no family. None. That should that should be telling to us about what our priority systems are, what is most precious to us, what we value the most. Because what we value the most, he says here, when you're in my presence and you really want to come to me, you got to give it up and hand it over to me. And so those expectations then raise the bar of, How you you and I make priorities with our resources, what we do with our time, our talent, our treasure. In regards to all three of those things, does God have the best of your time and mine? Or does he have what's left? Does God have the best of your talent or does your vocation get all of that? Does God have the best of your treasure or does your family and friends get all of that? Telling questions here that these three guys answered the right way or maybe more than three, but these Magi answered the right way and and modeled greatly for us in the sense of, here's the folks who had it all, who had all the smarts, who had all the resources, who had all all the, the support that they needed around them, and they abandoned every bit of that when they came into his presence. We should do the same. There should be this sense of abandonment when we come before him, when we come to worship him, when we come to see him, this sense of abandonment that we worship him with. Well, a couple of observations here, and we're done. Whether we see him or not, I'm not, and I'm not talking about physically, although he makes physical manifestations to us through uh, <laughs> a lot of things. I was thinking this past week that, that sometimes God can show up in a, in a car repair. Sometimes he can show up in a, in a broken water heater. <laughs> sometimes he can show up in, in, uh, in, in, a, in the blessing of, of finances. Sometimes he can show up in the blessing of, of a person, in what someone has to say to you, in their words, God can show up in a number of different physical manifestations and ways. But however we see him, whether we see him or not, depends on where we're looking. Depends on where we're looking. If we don't find ourselves in a place where our our vision, our focus is on looking for him as these guys were, we're never going to see him. And he'll pass totally by us, oblivious us, oblivious to what's going on around us. And that's the place I find myself many, many times. (laughs) It's looking at, maybe you're like this too, looking at after the fact was that God? Did I miss that? Was he, in, was he in that conversation? That conversation I just had with this person about something totally insignificant and seemingly meaningless. Was God in that? And I find myself sometimes after the fact thinking, if I was looking for him in the conversation, I would have seen him. I wasn't looking for him. I was thinking of maybe some way I could be clever or some way I could have something relevant to say instead of trying to figure out, God, where are you in this? What are you up to in this? What do you have to say to to, to the both of us, to to he and I, to she and I, in this conversation, in this moment, in this situation, through these circumstances? If we're going to see him, we're going to have to look for him. It depends on where we're looking. Um, There's a a seeker, there's a searcher, there's a curiosity in each of us. We're bent in those directions. We're just wired for it. We're, We're bent to see what we've never seen, to know what we've never known, to experience what we've never experienced each of us have a curiosity about that at some level, some more than others, some less than others. So if we're going to, to do that before, we're going, uh, if we're going to see and experience and know those things, we're going to have to go to the, ro- to the proper source and be looking in the right direction. The answers are found in a person. They're not found in the things we own. They're not found in a vocation. They're not found in family. They're not found in friends. They're not found in trees. They're not found in gifts. The answer to those things are found in a person. The person is the king. The same king, these men came to bow themselves before, submit themselves, and surrender themselves to. The answer to those truths, to those questions that we're looking for, to the curiosity, to the search, to the seeker, the answer, the solution is found in the person It's found in the king. If you're here today and you don't know him, you've come to the right place. Great great opportunity today for you to pray to receive Christ. We'd love to talk to you after this, After we're over with about how to do that if you've never, if you've never met him personally. But he invited these men to do those very things by way of a star. He invited them to worship. He invited them to see what they'd never seen before, to know what they'd never known before, to experience what they'd never experienced before. He invited them to do that with a star, a star. Can you? In essence, he met them where they are because he noticed the things that they noticed every day and said, if I stick a star there, they'll see it. They'll understand This is the significance of that. It's no accident that that's been been, been put in place. So he invited them with a star. What's he he saying to you and I today? The same invitation today exists. It just exists in the form of this book. It's the most revelating, most startling, most eye-opening thing people will ever read. Yet we think, "Ah, I don't get it. I don't understand it. With the Spirit's help, we will. With the Spirit's help, we will. It is a spiritual book. Is it full of history? Is it full of poetry? Yes, it's full of that and more. But it is a spiritual book, and to be understood and gleaned from, we have to lean on the Spirit of God to guide us as we read it. And he will if we ask. He will if we ask. He's inviting us to the same opportunity to seek him, to submit to him, and to surrender to him. Submit to him who we are, to bow before him, to surrender him to things that are most precious to us, and give those to him. He's calling us to that. Can we see him? Can you see him there? depends on where you're looking Next week, can you hear me? Next week's invitation, he asks, can you hear me? We'll see how he reveals that to folks. Thanks again for listening to today's message from Crosspoint Church, helping people navigate the journey toward an authentic, biblical, and contagious walk with Christ.